Proverbs 11.6 describes this process for the wicked. Proverbs is pretty much in the middle of your Bible. You can start with Psalms, which is the middle, and hang a right. 11.6. Incidentally, y'all should read that in Romans that I just read and finish that sometimes. It was specifically speaking about the Jewish nation, but it definitely applies to us. And it says things like, they gave up the natural use of their bodies and craved that which was immoral so that God gave them over to their depraved minds so that even the women desired other women. You think about what it says and see if you don't see it in society around you. And I'm not telling you that there's anybody that you know that's beyond God's salvation. He's willing to save any who will call on Him. But you can get so far from God that you won't call on Him because you're blinded by your evil desires. Look at 11.6. It says, The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by their evil desires. God traps people in their evil desires. If all you want is wickedness, God will give you enough that you hang yourself in it. There's a great teaching about how Satan fell, when he fell, and how this happened. You'll find out that this same principle that's at work in Ahab's life happened with the enemy that we call Satan. God gave him enough rope to actually hang himself. He found himself trying to kill God dressed as a man. But that's another story all in and of itself. Let's look at some lessons from Israel's history and then we'll get into what we need to do about all of this. We're going to go to Numbers 11. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Hope I'm not wearing you all out with turning pages. But if you get a good word, it ought to be throughout the Bible. Something that is kind of a pet peeve of mine. I'll not say that I've never done it because I certainly have. The Lord can speak to you through the smallest verse. It might be Jesus wept and that's how He's speaking to you. It's that small verse in the Bible. But it makes me sick when somebody takes one obscure verse, builds an entire message on it that really is not convicting, has, has no unction of the Spirit in it. It's really poor man's psychology. But they had a message they wanted to speak and just went to the Word to find one verse to back it up so that they could excuse it as coming from the Bible. We call that three points in a poem. You know, it's, it's what is taught in seminary. With all my heart, I want what is in this Bible. I want the truth. Naturally, our, our messages come from a lot of places in the Bible. What does the title over 11.4 say? The quail from the Lord. This is the story of manna. The people of Israel are receiving manna from God. God Himself is raining down something that looks like coriander seed from heaven. The people are going out, they're grinding it up, and when they eat it and bake it, it tastes like something that is made with olive oil. It's sweet, and they called it manna, meaning, what is it? Okay, God Himself had provided for them manna. Was that enough for the people? Starting in verse... Uh, And I'll tell you, in the first 17 verses before that, what happens is the people grumble. They say, we're sick of this manna. That's all we ever get to eat. We want other food. Food like we had in Egypt when we ate fish at no cost to us. Have you ever met Christians? 
that all they ever did was talk about how good they had it in the world, as if they were doing God a favor by joining His team. You know, well, when I was in the world, I had nice clothes, I had money, I had, and now that I'm a Christian, I don't have any of those things. Be careful what your heart desires. Your heart is said to be the wellspring of life. And your desires can corrupt your heart. If you desire what you had when you were in the world, you may get the opportunity to leave God's kingdom and go back to the world. Because God does not want any that do not want God. You know what? That's not all that unlike a human being. You don't want a wife that doesn't want you. You know, if a wife hates your guts, that's not the one that you want to marry, is it? No. Hey, she thoroughly detests me. I think I'll try to get her to marry me. You know? Well, Jesus does not want a bride that doesn't want Him. And when you talk about your previous life in the world, the Bible says it's shameful to even mention the deeds that were done in darkness. We said, boy, when I was in the world, I'd have knocked His head off. Well, good, keep talking like that and maybe you can get a chance to retreat back to the world. That'd be real pleasing to God. You can spit in His face. Well, that's what Israel's doing here. And in verse 18, it says, Tell the people... Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. Boy, that's an important verse. The Lord heard you when you wailed. In your car when you leave here today, if you, if you chew up this message, if you make fun of the people of God, you cut people off in traffic, give them the one-finger salute and run over a little old lady getting onto the interstate, the Lord sees it all. You know, when you think you're by yourself talking to your friend on the phone, internet messaging somebody, you think, well, it's just me and them. God sees every bit of it. He watches you to see what is in your heart. And you know how you know what's in somebody's heart? By their actions and the words that come out of their mouth. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Oh my God, can you imagine? These people saw ten plagues come down upon the Egyptians. The Egyptians were burying their dead when Israel was delivered out. The Red Sea was split in two for them to walk across. They were given water in the desert. They were given manna. They saw God's presence on a mountain in fire. And what did they say? We were better off in Egypt. And yet the church acts the same way half the time. Well, when I was in the world, I didn't have to struggle like this. I had a single guy who was a friend of mine. And, you know, you talk about a rebuke. I loved him. I cocked both barrels and fired at him. He said, when I was in the world, I didn't have any problem finding women because he was having to wait for a spouse. Be careful. You might get what you uh, are asking for. I would wait for the spouse that God was trying to give me rather than go out and work it by my own hands. Boy, look. None of us were born in a church. We know what it's like to be married to people that are not godly. If you don't, you know somebody who does. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it just for one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before Him saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? Here's a principle. Number one, what you desire is what you'll get from the Lord. If all you desire is wickedness, He'll give you over to wickedness. If what you desire is righteousness, He'll give you righteousness. But here's the thing. He gives it to you in a greater abundance than you ask for it. 
If you want wickedness, He'll give you so much wickedness that it's coming out of your nose. If you want righteousness, He'll give you more than you could have ever dreamed of. In fact, He'll glorify your body before the whole world. He'll raise you from the dead. He'll cause you to shine like the stars in the heavens to rule this planet for a thousand years while all the nations watch. You'll live as long as God lives in an eternal kingdom with no more tears, no more dying. He'll give you more righteousness than you ever thought possible. You need to check your heart and see what it is that you desire of God. Probably the ultimate choice in the Bible, the ultimate expression of this principle is in 2 Thessalonians 2. Many people teach what I would consider to be pure fiction. In fact, it's a fictional book that you can buy at Walmart that is a commentary on First and Second Thessalonians. Rather than get into an eschatological teaching, I'm going to stick with our point today, but you just remember that I said there's a fictional book out there for people that want fiction. In 2 Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 1, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him. So concerning His coming and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become uneasily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Do not let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, what day? The day when He comes and you're gathered to Him, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. You won't be gathered to Jesus until the Antichrist has shown up, till there's a rebellion. Well, how will I know the Antichrist? Verse 4, He will oppose and will exalt Himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. If you ever want to know what that verse means, you can read Daniel 12. It'll teach you, but we don't have time today. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of coming, of his coming. When will we be gathered, Lord? When will your day come? Oh, well, it'll come when the man of lawlessness is revealed. Well, when will he be revealed? Oh, you'll know him. He sits on the throne, declares himself to be God, and by the way, Jesus is going to destroy him with fire. Doesn't look like anything that's a secret, does it? Here's the point that we were getting to, though. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Why do they perish? Underline this verse. Star it. Think about it. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Friends, if you don't love the truth, if you're sullen and angry every time God corrects you, if you aren't in love with the correction of God, if you aren't in love with His Word and His ways, you're in danger of receiving something that is really what you want. 
the people that follow the Antichrist, the great apostasy that is written about in Matthew 24, occurs because people didn't love the truth. They loved a lie and so God gave them a lie. And just like Israel who craved other food, they craved something besides God's pure manna. They craved meat. God gave them so much it came out of their noses. If you don't love the truth, God will give you deception. You know why? He only wants those that want Him. He only wants those that want Him. But anybody who will call upon Him can be saved. Anybody. If they just want Him. You know why this is not taught on much? It's, it's trouble on most people's theology to think that God would trick somebody. But what is essential to this that you understand? The only people that get tricked are those that refuse to love the truth. God tries their whole lives to get the truth across to them. But if at some point they've stiff-armed God their whole life, He'll go ahead and give them what they want. Even the expression of the Antichrist is for this reason. God has tried to be the king of mankind expressed himself through Moses in the Old Testament. The Father was revealed. Man said, no, we, we want our own king. He expressed himself through the personage of the Son in the New Testament. We killed him. We rejected him. He said, no, we want something else as our king. He's revealing himself by way of the Holy Spirit now in this church age. People say, no, we want something else as our king. So God says, okay, you've rejected me. Here's a king like you want. Here's an antichrist. You refuse to love the truth. Here's a lie for you. And you know what? He'll cause such turmoil on the earth that most die. That's what the whole book of Revelation is about. That 666 in the Bible is the representation of man rejecting the Father. Six is the number of sin and it's man's number in the Bible. The representation of man's rejection of the Son, second six. The third six, rejecting the Holy Spirit. So that the Antichrist is the embodiment of man's rejection of God. They don't want God, so God gives them another, the kind they do want. That's sad, isn't it? What time is it, y'all? 12.40. Can y'all give me just a few more minutes so that we can tie this up? God gives you whatever you want in a greater abundance than you ask for it. What should we conclude? What kind of lessons should we learn from this? Well, Proverbs 4.23 says that above all else, you need to guard your heart because it's a wellspring of life. The first thing you ought to take away from this message is if my desires determine what God will give me, my desire for wickedness means I'll get wickedness, or my desire for righteousness means God will give me righteousness, be careful what desires you let creep in your heart. I was on a cruise here recently for work. And man, what a blessing. I didn't have to pay for a thing. I mean, it was awesome. And Jennifer and I walked through the jewelry store on the, the cruise, right? And I'm there for breathe. And my heart began to be drawn towards a watch that was there. I'm, come on, y'all. Hopefully you can relate to this. I'm not the only <laughs> idiot. You see something and before long you start thinking, that might be kind of nice, you know? then you can't sleep at night because you want it. You need to be careful what you let your heart be drawn towards. Because, and Is there anything wrong with me having a watch? Of course not. Was it God's will for me to buy that one? Apparently not. 
You can let so many desires come into your life that are your desires that you can't get God's desire for your life. God desires for you maybe to sell everything you have and be a missionary in a foreign country. But all your desire is set upon is gathering things and building a house. See, your desires can be in conflict with God's desires. So you need to guard your heart. That's the first conclusion you should come to. Incidentally, this prosperity gospel that's being preached everywhere, I'm sure people mean well, but 1 Timothy 6, 6 is worth reading while we're on this subject. As a shepherd, all, all the T's are in the Bible together, by the way. So we were just in Thessalonians. All you've got to do is hang a right and you'll hit Timothy. We're going to be in 1 Timothy 6, 6. As a shepherd, and this is my church, because God gave it to me, told me to start it, I have a responsibility to teach you what is right. If there is false teaching out there, I'm not pointing out the people as bad people. I'm telling you that the teaching's bad so that you don't get it. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Can God give you material things? Yes, and He does. He's richly blessed my life. But there's something wrong with setting your desires on material things. Because many people who were eager to get rich, the Bible says, have pierced themselves with many griefs. Griefs. That's not a word, is it? They've been grieved. (laughs) I I lost my wording. But grievances. Thank you, Brian. See, that's a helpmate. That's a godly helpmate. So next time somebody's appealing to you on the basis of greed, and they're saying... Send me $100 that you might get 700 back. Remember this. I mean, remember. And you know what? When somebody tries to explain this away and they say, well, in the Greek it said, let me tell you. Okay? I'm not a Greek scholar. But thankfully we live in an age where lexicons are bountiful. I've got several on my computer. You know what this says in the Greek? It says what it says in English. It was translated right. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You need to be smart. Some people have become masters at getting dollars out of your pocket and into their plate. There is nothing wrong if God tells you to do that. You know what? He'll reward you. But if the reason that you do that is in the hopes of getting from God, your motives are wrong in the first place. So therefore, that whole teaching is wrong. You need to learn the lesson of the sower. Y'all turn with me to Mark. That's New Testament, Matthew, Mark 4. Can't seem to find Mark in my Bible. All right, Mark 4, verse 19. Uh, We need to start up further than that. Verse 18. 
Y'all know the story, the sower goes out and he sows seed and it falls on four kinds of soil. Well, this is one of the kinds. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Sometimes you start the race well. You're growing. But your many desires for things that God doesn't want you to have cause the Word to be unfruitful in your life. You know, the Word admonishes you to live simple lives. You know, some of you are capable of having many things and doing quite well. Others are not capable of having many things and doing well. I love David. He said he was young, now he's old, and he's never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. He also didn't want to have so much that he was inclined to forget God and didn't want to have so little that he was tempted to steal. Man, those, that's, that's the right kind of attitude. God knows what you can handle. And if it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, why would you want to be one? That's a high calling. I know a man with a lot of money. A lot of money. And I used to think about him. wonder what he thinks when he reads those. You know what? He has got a huge responsibility to handle that money in a way that's pleasing to God. And as much as I didn't think his pastoral leadership was very good, this guy I'm thinking of, you know what he did do well? He paid a lot of people's light bills. He was awful generous with what God had given him. And that is a credit to him. He's somebody that can handle wealth. I might not do well with it. I don't pray to win the lottery. I do much better with a huge mountain in front of me. When the lines are drawn and I know God's my only health insurance program, when I know that if God didn't come through for me, I, I can't succeed, I'm wholly dependent upon God. I might not do so well with a whole lot. <clears throat> to get through a couple of these, Pop, you turn to 30, Psalm 37, verse 4. Mom, you turn to Psalm 103, verse 5. Mandy, turn to Psalm 145. You're going to read 15 through 19. And I'm going to read Matthew 5, 6. Father, when you get there, start it. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. You ever wanted something? Well, let it come out of your knowledge of the Lord. Let it come. That's Psalm 37, 4. Let it come out of your love for Him and you'll get it. He'll give you the very desires because you've lost yours and you've taken up His. He'll make sure you get them. You want your marriage to be strong? You want your children to serve God? You want to be pleasing to God? He'll make sure it happens. Just delight yourself in Him. Mom, you have the next one? Psalm 103.5 To satisfy your desires with good things so that your youth will be moved like the eagle. We serve a God who will satisfy your desires with good things. If what you desire is something that is good, He'll give it to you because He's a good Father. You remember Luke 11.13? It speaks of if you though, though you're evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God will give you good things. Now, truthfully, that, that verse, satisfied with good things, it's speaking more of a, uh, of a physical hunger, being, being uh, satisfied in your natural hunger. That's important. Mandy, read yours, then we'll get there. 
He will fulfill your desires. He has an open hand for all those that hunger for good things. This is why in Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus can say in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now get this. Don't, don't let this pass you by. This is Matthew 5, 6. What people forget about the Beatitudes is to be this attitude. You know, we read them, but we, we forget the most simple thing. This is an attitude you're supposed to possess. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness and you will be filled. Now, does that say unless you're on a desert island? Does that say unless you're in communist China? Does that say unless your parents are Hindu or Buddhist? No. It says if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. So the same God that looks and sees men that want deceitfulness, and so He gives them a, a lie, looks at men who want righteousness and He fills them. You need to show God that what you hunger after is righteousness and He will see that you get it. If you need more anointing, He'll give you more anointing. If you need more wisdom, the Bible says ask God. He gives liberally to all who ask. Whatever you need, He will give you. So when you're praying and the devil says, oh, you won't get it, you remember, God will give you anything that you hunger for. Anything. Whether it's wicked or righteous. It's a shame that people steer away from things that seem to be difficult theologically. Because when they do, when they steer away from stories like Kings 22 and the lying spirit, they miss out on the truths of God. And they stick to the three points in a poem and everybody stays shallow. And the church never learns. You need to be very aware that your desires move God. Proverbs 13.4 says that you have to be diligent. If you're diligent in your desires, then they'll be filled. Sometimes we're diligent for a moment. Lord, I want righteousness this week. Next week, I want what I want. God's not a part-time God and you can't be a part-time Christian. Most of us want to date God. We want to... We want to put on the little promise ring. We want to dress up nice. We want to go see Him on the weekend. Hey, how are you? you? know, They want the benefits of a date. What God wants is a marriage. You wake up next to Him. You go to sleep beside Him. He's with you all of the time. It's not a promise ring. It's a wedding ring. You need to remember that. Be consistent in your desire. Does that mean you're going to get it right? Not all of the time. He knows that. No more than a husband and a wife's relationship is perfectly smooth but I don't question this woman loves me. You know what? She's diligent. She shows her love by her actions. I do too. Her probably more than me, but <laughs> that's another principle that's not necessarily godly about men. <laughs> the importance of the Holy Spirit in this pursuit can't be overstated. If you want to know how to succeed in diligently desiring the right thing, turn to Romans 8, verse 5. I got about five more minutes, huh? Has anybody got a watch? Is it almost uh, one? Those of you that were here when my father spoke and I was out of town, out of town, 
I believe one of his scriptures came out of Galatians about staying in step with the Spirit. That's a good word. Most of the reason that Christians out there desire what is right but then can't fulfill it is because they lack the power of the Holy Spirit because our churches don't teach about it because it's just not all that dignified. You know, to speak in a language that's not yours takes faith. To be in a church where somebody prophesies can be a little unnerving to the flesh. Now, come on, some of you Christians who already do this, be honest. you got visitors in your church, right? Or maybe your mom is coming to the first service she's ever been to. I've been there. There's that one guy who always prophesies in tongues on the other side of the room. What are you doing? You're praying he does not prophesy in tongues today. <laughs> Say, Lord, could we just have a normal service like everybody else today? You know? Don't scare them off, Lord. If the things of God scare you off, that's showing that your heart is not right to receive what God's given you. Now, He's merciful. Scared most of us off. But He drew us in because He loves us. Romans 8, starting in verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. There's two natures that can be at work in you, God's and yours. If you're controlled by yours, you're going to die. And you're going to die in a way that's unpleasing to God. So you need to make it every effort to be controlled by God's Spirit. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Talk about another one that's difficult for theology. That's only difficult if you don't believe what it says. How about Romans 13 while we're in this? Romans 13, verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. I'm telling you, church, wake up from your slumber. If I'm boring and I put you to sleep, or if you're just at a point in your life where all this is not all that interesting to you, you hear the words of the Apostle. He says, Wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Friends, don't cling to what is wrong. Cling to what is right. God will clothe you in armor. He calls it the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime not in orgies, drunkenness, in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You want to be pleasing to God? Quit spending all your time trying to please your flesh. You know, stop thinking all of the time about what you can do for you. I hate to... I used JFK already, but I, I mean, I... <laughs> I realize this could be kind of cliche. You remember when he said, think not of what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country? Apply that to the kingdom of God. Quit thinking about all that you want God to do for you and start thinking about what you might do for God. And you know what? Because you put first the kingdom in your lot, everything you need will be added to you. Most of the time when we don't get what we're after, it's because we're asking with the wrong motives. That it might be something pleasing to our flesh. We are almost done here. 
Galatians 5, 16 through 26 is a great teaching. We're not going to read it because Dad read it about two weeks ago. But basically it teaches that you need to be filled with the Spirit so that you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. That the Spirit is something you have to stay in step with. The word for Spirit in the Greek is pneumos. It means wind. What is wind if it is not moving? Well, whatever it is, it's not wind. Because wind has got to be moving to be wind. The Spirit of God is moving in your life. You have to stay in step with Him. He's not telling you just sit still and do nothing, say nothing. The idea of going to live in a monastery and not speaking for years is not holy. The Word of God, the Spirit of God will cause you to act a certain way. When Jesus separates the sheep from the goats at the end of Matthew, what determined whether you were a sheep or a goat was not your failures. It was failing to try. Those who did nothing, who did not feed, who did not clothe, who did not visit those in prison, those who did nothing were called goats and cast from His presence. Those who at least attempted were considered to be His sheep. God works on a merit program. You do not have to knock out the enemy you're in the ring with. You simply have to be in the ring and continue to fight. He might wear you out for ten rounds. But you know what? Your father is the judge and your brother is the chief counselor and they will call it a victory. All you have to do is stay in the ring. Say, but I keep falling. Well, forget about the falling and concentrate on getting back up. Ephesians 4.20, we are going to read. <clears throat> After you get past the Roman letters and the Corinthian letters, Paul's epistles, an easy way to remember their order, is giant, eat, peas, and carrots. That's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Or if you prefer, General Electric Power Company. I have a friend that we used to say, great and exalted Preston Coles. He didn't like that very much, though, and I promised I would stop and see how good I am at keeping those promises. So we are in Ephesians 4. And verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The Gospel's not all that complicated, despite all the Scripture that I read today, despite all the verses that I've quoted. The number one thing you have to remember is that your way of life, your old way, first of all, should be considered your old way. Because to be in Christ, you have to make a new start. Quit yielding to your old desires. Take on Christ's new desires for you. Desire righteousness. When you feel that old man creeping up in you, telling you what to do, consider him dead. Count yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ and you can't go wrong. The only way to do that is to live in step with the Holy Spirit. We're going to, the last verse we want to concentrate on is in Jude. Jude's right before the book of Revelation so you can get to the right side of your Bible and move left. And you will see Jude. I love that because Jude is one chapter. Jude was also a brother to Jesus. Starting in 
starting in uh, verse 16, I want you to remember something. When people come against the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, when they cause confusion, they call spirit-filled churches cults and all of those things, remember what Jude says here. Verse 16, These men are grumblers and fault-finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others with their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. Now we were told this day would exist in the church when there would be people who followed their own instincts and did not have the Holy Spirit. And they would divide people. Now, I grew up in churches that did not have the Holy Spirit. They told me that it was all those people that said they had the Holy Spirit who were divisive. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's men who follow their mere natural instincts that are divisive. Listen to what else it says. One time in my life, I would believe that our church leadership would have had me take a black highlighter to this verse. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Now that's another teaching in and of itself, but I can tell you praying in the Holy Spirit is not just praying in accordance with God's will. Praying in the Holy Spirit according to the Apostle Paul, who Jude just quoted a few moments ago, he quoted to us from his letter to Timothy, is praying in an unknown tongue. He said he prays with his spirit, he prays with his mind. Okay, so regardless of what people teach out there, that's what the Bible says. It builds you up. We're going to close with a couple thoughts and two more scriptures. Y'all don't have to turn to them. I'll tell you what they are. In closing, we need to evaluate our lives. Have your desires been godly? If any of you immediately answered yes, you missed the point of the message. You need to reflect upon your life. Weed out those desires that are not godly. Is righteousness your all-consuming ambition? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Are you just trying to get by the easiest way you can? You go from day to day just thinking about how hard work's going to be and can't wait to get home and go to sleep? Are you thinking about righteousness? Are you hungering for it? Are you properly equipped to succeed? If it requires the Holy Spirit's intervention in your life for you to put off the desires of the flesh and to take up Christ's Spirit, if it requires you to be clothed with Christ, are you properly equipped? And don't think speaking in tongues is all you need to be properly equipped. It's certainly not. I met a lot of immature people that speak in other tongues that never clothe themselves with Christ. That's the very least. It's the smallest thing. Our God has a beautiful exchange program. For the wicked, He exchanges the truth for a lie. But for the righteous, He exchanges ashes for beauty. Job 17.11 says this. Alright, I can't find Job, but with one hand... Job 17, 11. My days have passed. My plans are shattered. 
so are the desires of my heart. Sometimes you look at your life and you realize the desires of your heart have not been good. The beautiful thing is that Isaiah 61.3 says God will exchange your ashes for beauty. Your desires that are shattered are like bringing ashes before God. Everything I ever wanted, Lord, is burned up. Either because it wasn't good or because I'm supposed to set it down and pick up your desires. He'll take from you your shattered plans, your broken heart. He'll take those ashes out of your hands and He'll give you something that is beautiful. Our God is not in the business of simply taking. He exchanges. He will exchange your life for something that is beautiful. If you'll come to Him and with all your heart serve Him, with all your heart you'll say, Lord, I love You and I want You. He'll take all your broken dreams and He'll put them together again. He'll take all those hurts in your life, things that revolve around your family, that revolve around your broken dreams, your ashes, and He'll give you something beautiful. That's the kind of God He is. He looks for ways to bless you. We're going to stand up and we're going to pray. Let your ambition be for God's Spirit to lead you into righteousness, to desire what is holy, to love truth even if it hurts. And you go ahead and give God your ashes and ask for something beautiful in exchange. Your ashes represent any of your failed plans in life. You know, you got hurts from the past? Just give them over to God. They're ashes. He'll give you something beautiful in exchange. Let's stand up and pray.